Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Trained Up Leadership Podcast. My name is Adam Baus, and I am so thankful that you've taken a few minutes out of your day to listen to episode two. I'm excited to jump into some more articles and talk about leadership with you. Uh, This podcast is all about helping leaders just take a few minutes out of their week and continue to invest in their own growth and development. I know that you are so busy doing the work that's right in front of you, and so I'm doing the work for you by reading, by researching, and then bringing you some concise, helpful insight from the world of leadership development. I think it's awesome that you're spending a few minutes investing in yourself, and if you know anybody else who might benefit from this podcast, either this episode or uh, others, please take a minute to share that. And the reality is, is that we are all leading somewhere. So even if you don't consider yourself a quote unquote leader, you don't have a position of leadership within your church or organization, that's okay. We can all continue to grow and get better at the ways that we influence others and the way that we lead ourselves. So use this in any area of life that it applies, but we're also specifically talking about leading in the church. All right, without any further delay, let's get to it. We've got three great articles, and here we go with article number one. Article number one comes from a website called More Than Sound. This is actually an organization that does research into emotional intelligence and leadership development. Um, It's a website that I go to pretty frequently, and they have an article that's entitled Coaching Leaders to Value and Manage Their Organizational Webs. What's an organizational web? Great question. Organizational webs really come down to understanding the ways that people are connected and aligned relationally within your organization. Now, organizational awareness is a big topic, and there's a lot we could talk about, but I want to point out a couple things that are in this article that could be really, really helpful for you, especially when it comes to starting a new program or uh, sharing a new vision with your team for the first time. Understanding the way that people are connected, that organizational web, can be really, really helpful in getting people to buy into and uh, really join in on this new vision or this new program that you're starting to launch. Let me read a couple of excerpts for you from this article to give you uh, some more understanding and context for what we mean by organizational awareness and organizational webs. Uh, there's, a, there's a person mentioned in here named Isabel, and this is a client that they were working with and, and, and using this particular technique of organizational webs uh, to help them improve as a leader. So here's a quote. Isabel and I drew a web of relationships on a big piece of butcher paper on her wall. We named the key players and interest groups on her team and how they connected to each other. We thought about each person or group individually in terms of what they valued, their relationships, and their power to either support or challenge progress towards Isabel's goals. As we worked, Isabel began to see how her actions created dissonance for her people and how their reactions were actually consistent with what they valued. Isabel's big aha moment was this. Their actions are predictable. Her resistance melted away as she began to see the power in predicting her team's reactions and proactively engaging to avoid being ambushed. So what does all of that mean? Essentially, Isabel and this uh, coach sat down to literally draw out a web of how everyone on her team were connected. Why is that important? Well, because people are drawn to connect to other people who share the same vision, the same values. And within your team, you may have little pockets of of people who have sort of coalesced around different values, whether it's excellence in the way that things get done, or it's in being relationally connected and really caring about people. Everybody has different value sets, but there's always going to be overlap. And the more you can understand the ways that these little groups form within your team, the better you can speak specifically and directly to their values when you're launching 
a new campaign, when you're sharing a new vision, or when you're adjusting or realigning your organizational goals. The reality is, is that people don't exist in vacuums. So no matter how well you explain something, if you're not actually communicating to them in a way that aligns with their values and what's most important to them, there's going to be resistance because they don't understand how it matches up with what they see as being most important. So you draw this map, you create this web to understand not only uh, the individual values that people have, but how those values create little subunits within your team. This isn't about manipulating people. It's not about sort of reducing people to a single single trait or characteristic, but it's understanding the relational dynamics that are going on. People will draw closer to people that share the same values. And the more you can understand that, the better you're going to be able to communicate to different groups and bring those groups together towards a shared vision that the whole organization believes in, is bought into, and is going to work towards seeing come to reality. Article two. This article comes from Dr. John Townsend. Now, if that name's not familiar to you, uh, he is an author, psychologist, coach, um, and and pretty well known throughout certain circles. Uh, Dr. Townsend co-wrote a book called Boundaries with Dr. Henry Cloud, and this is sort of a landmark book. I think it's around 20 to 25 years old now. It's a book I've benefited from greatly, and they have several other versions of it, Boundaries in Marriage, Boundaries with Kids, uh, Boundaries in Dating, things like that. And they do a lot of really, really great work. I'm sure we'll talk about other articles from these two. But today, specifically, this is a blog post from Dr. Townsend entitled, Leaders, Fewer Words and Better Words. So we're talking about communication here. Let me read an excerpt from this blog post for you. Why do leaders talk so much? Lots of reasons. The good. We are excited about a new initiative. We want to explain a process or a challenge. We have seen great speakers catalyze audiences. And the not so good. We like to hear ourselves. We have little clue about the impact on our verbiage has on others. We talk more when we are anxious, to feel in control and less insecure. We think the more words we use, the more clear the explanation. Actually, it doesn't matter whether the intent is good or not so good. The outcome is the same. People check out. So, as a leader, when you're talking to your team, this could be a formal presentation or it could be in a weekly team meeting. It could be in a one-on-one setting or it could be coaching on a particular topic with a small subset, a particular ministry team within your organization. How do you communicate? Are you bringing tons of words? Are you bringing lots of big ideas? Or are you really particular about the words you choose? Are you specifically communicating an idea that you've thought through and understand from all the different angles? Dr. Townsend makes four really simple but challenging recommendations in his article. He says, whatever your communication is, cut it by two-thirds, which seems just radical, right? Say two-thirds fewer words. But the idea he's getting at is that you need to simplify. That doesn't mean that you're not talking about complex things, and it doesn't mean that you need to just bite your tongue and not say things that matter to you. But you really need to hone your message in. You need to be clear about what you're communicating, because if people get lost or they feel overwhelmed by your words, they're either going to just decide what they what you what they think you mean, or they're just going to tune out completely. And neither one of those things are actually going to be beneficial in the long run. He says you need to allow silence. And that's an okay thing to do from time to time. We can get awkward silences sometimes. We don't know what to do. And so we'll just sort of fill that word by repeating ourselves or by going off on a rabbit trail. But 
consider the fact that when there is silence, people are thinking. And if you're doing this for the first time, you're just starting to do this more in conversations individually or in a group setting, it's going to feel excruciating. But if you give time for people to understand that you are intentionally giving time in the communication process, it'll become more comfortable. It'll become more relaxed. And there's more deep thinking that can go on. There's more thoughtful response that can go on rather than rapid fire, quick back and forth because nobody wants it to be silent. Third thing he says is to settle for less information. This ties back to this idea of cutting your words by two thirds. Settle for less information doesn't mean that you aren't trying to get a better, clearer, more full picture of what's going on and that your people don't want the same thing. You need clarity, but you don't have to explain every single detail of every single thing. Leave space for people to ask questions, for them to dive into the parts that they want to understand more. Don't assume that everybody gets it just by giving a couple of sentences, but you want to give them space to lean into the conversation and ask the questions about the things they don't understand. Last piece, give honest, honest, honest feedback. And he he wrote honest three times there in this article. Give honest, honest, honest feedback. This relates back to an article we talked about in episode one, which was about making empathy the mission, right? We want to connect with people and we want to get honest feedback. We want to give honest feedback. So strive for mutual understanding in your communication. Don't communicate until you feel like you've been clear. Communicate so that the other person understands. And as long as you are doing that, it's going to be easier to get honest feedback in both directions. Article number three. This article is entitled 10 Leadership Lessons from My Years at New Life. And this is by a pastor named Pete Scazzaro. Pete is somebody that I just became aware of about a year to a year and a half ago um, through a book called Emotionally Healthy Leadership. Uh, There's a couple other versions of that. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality was the first one. It's sort of the basis for this new ministry and organization that they have developed out of New Life Church. But Pete has transitioned, and reflecting back this summer, he came up with 10 leadership lessons that really sort of coalesced around his experience in being in the front lines of ministry. I've seen some other pastors do this. Craig Rochelle did this at Life Church. Reggie Joyner has done this as well. And it's a pretty common practice. And I think it's important that we listen to what these seasoned, more experienced leaders uh, have to say about the lessons they've learned over time, not because they're always going to bring lessons that apply to you specifically. Um, Some may and some may not, but there's always wisdom in it. And just being able to sit and listen and reflect from people who have walked the walk and been in the trenches for longer than we have is a really important practice. I'm not going to read all 10 of the lessons that Pete outlined here, but there are three in particular that really jumped out to me, and I'm going to read those for you and maybe give you a thought. The first lesson that he writes is this, character is more important than gifting. He goes on to write, Being is more important than doing. When we have overlooked issues of character because of anointing, effectiveness, or natural abilities, we have always paid a price. That's a painful lesson to learn, right? When you prioritize effectiveness instead of character, and then you get into a situation where there's a failure of character. And that can show up in a thousand different ways. But who you are is more important than what you do. That is one of the most challenging postures to take, I think, in life in general, but so much more so in leadership, when there's a pressure to perform, when there's a pressure to have results that are tangible and you can sort of hold up and show everybody, look, this is what we did. But Pete says that character is more important than gifting. It's a challenging one, but 
You've got to make that a priority, especially in ministry where character is everything. Another lesson that he includes is to face the truth and act on it, even when it hurts. Boy, can I think of a lot of different scenarios where this is really, really true. Whether it's in terms of you've got somebody on the team who just isn't a good fit, and you sort of try and everything, you've moved them to three or four different positions, and you just can't figure out how to make it work, well, you might need to face the truth and say that they're just not on the right bus right now, that that you need to help them figure out how to move into a different organization or a new season of life, not because you are discarding them, but because you want them to be where they can fully thrive. And sometimes we're afraid of hurting people by letting them go, but sometimes we're actually hurting people more by keeping them on board. I'm sure you can think of lots of other situations where you know a truth, but man, it seems scary to face into it, to admit it, to speak it out loud. And this may be needing to eliminate a program. It may be in needing to let a staff member go. It may even be in some sort of failure that you have experienced, that you haven't figured out how to move on from. We have to face the truth and act on it. And it's only when we're willing to do that that we're going to experience freedom and growth. One last lesson that I'll mention from this list is this, enforce and be careful not to dilute our values. Now, what I think he's talking about here is this idea of understanding what's most important to the organization. At some point, they probably sat down and said, man, what's really important to us? We we know missionally as a church, we want people to know Jesus and we're going to worship and we're going to read the Bible. Those aren't really necessarily the values. Um, Those are mission critical, but these values may be things like generosity. We're going to give above and beyond what is normal, or we are going to value people over processes. There are different ways of articulating values, and and it's something I think we'll probably talk a lot about in this podcast. But when you understand your values, these are the things that you've decided that you're going to do or the ways that you're going to be in order to fulfill the vision that your team has. And when you sacrifice those values, you end up sacrificing the vision along with it. Vision and values go hand in hand, and you have to keep both of those in front of you, and you have to protect them. You have to allow them to protect each other. Let me give you an example. Let's say that one of your church's values is that you want to be a people of generosity. It's not enough to just say it every once in a while to have a sermon series once a year, but to actually build a culture around this idea that we're going to be generous. I'll use the example of Life Church because that's an experience that I have, and generosity is one of their core values. So when it comes to the Bible app, they've decided we're going to give this away for free because we believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, every church would say it is more blessed to give than to receive, but not every church is literally giving away a product that could be worth millions if it were a for-profit business. Now, that's a really big and extreme example. Not every church has a Bible app, but are there ways that if generosity is your value, that you can put it into practice. That's how you enforce it, and that's how you protect it from being diluted, by putting it into practice, not just on the large scale and not just once to check off a box, but how are you actually enforcing it and embedding that value into the way that your people act and think every single day. Hey, thanks for checking out this episode. I really appreciate you spending a few minutes of your time to listen. If there was anything here that was really helpful, we would love to hear about it. If there are ideas that you have for future topics or articles, send those our way. You can either send me an email, adam at trainedup.org, or you can find me on Twitter, at Adam Baus. I'd love to hear from you and connect with you. 
we really do want to make this a really meaningful resource for church leaders and leaders really of any kind. So let us know how we can help you, how we can serve you better, because we want you to be a healthy, effective leader, and we want to help you lead healthy and effective teams. So we'll talk to you again next week. Have a great week and keep leading strong.